Thank you, ladies. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Thank you, Dan and Bakers, for our beautiful worship today. We're, we're grateful. Well, Happy New Year. The number one resolution is always the same, isn't it? The resolution to take better care of our physical bodies. The resolution to lose weight, to exercise, to watch our health more closely. And I join you in all of those. January 1 calls for us to reflect, to ponder, to start over, to begin again, to begin anew. The sermon today, however, does not deal with our starting over with our physical bodies. Rather, it's an opportunity for a fresh start for the soul. Jesus, in our story that Joel read to you, has received an invitation to a dinner. And even though Jesus didn't have a, a lot of nice things to say about the Pharisees, he RSVP'd and said, I'll be there, put my name down, you can count on me to show up. In those days, even private parties weren't all that private. They were open courtyards, and the invited guests would be around the table, laying down, reclining at the table, their heads toward the table, their feet sticking out away from the table. And those in the community, everything was more of a community event. They could gather around as long as they didn't interrupt or interfere or get in the way of the invited guests. They could listen into the conversation, especially when someone of notoriety, someone really special like Jesus, someone who was gaining in popularity might show up for dinner. Now, it's interesting. This Simon didn't really invite Jesus as an equal we can know that because he didn't wash the feet of Jesus. He didn't anoint his head with oil. He didn't even give him the customary kiss on the cheek of the greeting of an equal. No, Simon wasn't interested in Jesus being his equal. Rather, he had a pervasive curiosity. Who is this new prophet who heals the sick and casts out demons? What's he all about? Simon was pondering and wondering. And so he invited Jesus to come to the table to question this new would-be celebrity. Now, the woman who comes is a sinner. I want you to look there in verse 37. And behold, there's a woman in the city who was a sinner. I want you to look at the end of verse 39, that she is a sinner. Twice, and in fact, the word sinner, sinner, sin, sin is used over and over again in this text. There's no debating the identity of the woman. Could be said of every woman and man, however, couldn't it? That he is a sinner, that I am a sinner, that you are a sinner. But in some special way, this woman was identified in the community as, oh, that's the woman who is the sinner. Up front. Luke lets you know what everybody gathered around the table already knows, that this woman is a sinner. The sinner showed up when she heard that Jesus was going to be there. Now, there's something in the ministry of Jesus that Jesus always attracted sinners. Have you ever noticed that? 
that though his message can be summarized in the one sentence, repent for the kingdom of God has arrived, that's the message of Jesus, turn away from your sins, repent with me, the kingdom of God is now here, now present. That's the message of the preaching of Jesus. And yet, despite the fact that his very central message began with a key word, a command, repent, turn away from your sins, he attracted sinners. It's kind of uncanny. The tax gatherers were always around Jesus. In fact, the woman caught in adultery, the shady ladies were always around Jesus. The drunkards, the gluttons, they seemed to be drawn to Jesus. In fact, I want you to look up at verse 34 of the story before our story. For the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend. How is Jesus identified? A friend of tax gatherers and sinners. There it is. This story is set up by Luke with those words. How do we identify Jesus? He is the friend of sinners. Tax gatherers and sinners come to Jesus. What was it about Jesus? He never approved of their sin. His message was always uncomprom uncompromised. Go and sin no more. And yet despite the call to repentance, Despite the call to leave our sins behind, there was something about Jesus that exuded love and grace and hope and joy. And this woman and the tax gatherers and the drunkards and the gluttons, they would sit down at the table with Jesus. That's a good question for the church. The world tells us we have to stop our call to repentance or we can't draw people to the church, that we have to compromise to a culture. That's not the way Jesus did. Jesus stood on his call to repentance, and despite his call to repentance, because it was surrounded in love and grace and joy and hope, even sinners were still yet drawn. Come is the call of the church. Come like this shady lady to the foot of the gospel. So the lady comes. Now, the lady doesn't stand on the sidelines. She's not an invited guest. She's not supposed to get that involved. She's supposed to kind of be quiet and kind of stay in the, outside the courtyard and listen in over the fence, so to speak. But she comes on in close to the table, and she doesn't stay on the sidelines. She comes to the feet of Jesus, his head at the table, his feet sticking away from the table, and she begins to weep over her sin. She is sorrowful about her sin, and she bathes the feet of Jesus that Simon had neglected with her tears. She dries those feet with her hair. Now, only a shady lady would let her hair down in that first century culture. It would be uncouth for a woman to show the glory of her hair unless she was questionable, and that's the way she was. And she let her hair down, and she dried the feet of Jesus. She kissed the feet of Jesus when Simon would not even kiss his face. And when Simon would not anoint his head with oil, she anointed the feet of this rabbi with expensive perfume. She became involved with this occasion with Jesus. Now, it was more than Simon could take. It was more than Simon could, could stand. In verse 39, Simon had the question on his mind, is Jesus 
a prophet. And now that Jesus is letting, the literal translation is, one like this. Looks down his long nose. Now that Jesus is letting this one or one like this touch his feet. Now I know he's not a prophet. Everybody's giggling. Everybody realizes it's one of those situations that is really awkward for everybody else at the table because they know that she is in town, the sinner, and Jesus must not know because if he did know, he wouldn't let her get close to him, much less let her hair down and kiss his feet and dry his feet with her hair. The shady lady has gotten close to the rabbi, and so now Simon knows he's not a real prophet. He's not a man from God. Now, here's the scary thing about the text is that Jesus knows the heart of Simon. How does he know? Can he read the disdain on Simon's face when that woman is touching Jesus? Or is it one of those occasions where Jesus has a supra-spiritual insight that above human capacity, Jesus knows what's in the hearts of men and women, and he sees within the heart of Simon, and Simon's looking at him and going, you're not who I thought you were. The reports aren't even close. You're dealing with a sinful lady. And Jesus says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. Not what you want to hear Jesus ever say. You don't want Jesus to look into your dark heart, read your mind and say, I've got something to say to you. Well, say it, teacher. Let me have it. Let me hear it. He thought he had Jesus, you know, red-handed. I see what's happening. You can't deny this. The sinful lady is touching your feet. So let's hear what you got to say. You're not who I thought you were. Come on, rabbi. Let me have it. And Jesus begins to tell him a story. There are two people, and neither of these folks are able to pay their mortgage. One is past due 500 denarii and one is past due 50 denarii and the man to whom the money is owed says to him you know you're not making your payments just forget it it's no big deal I'm going to let it go I'm going to give you grace the debt is paid in full now Simon which one of these loves the most which one is most grateful? Which one rejoices the most, Simon? Which one? Which one? Well, I suppose the one that owed the most. I guess that one is the most grateful to the master of the mortgage who gave the forgiveness. Simon, you're smart. You're right on target. Don't you understand what this woman has done? This woman that you all have labeled as the sinner? I came to your house. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't kiss my cheek. And ever since I got here, this woman has washed my feet with her tears. She has dried my feet with her hair. She has anointed my head with just oil. She has anointed my feet with perfume. And Simon, you wouldn't kiss my face, but she has kissed 
my feet. You're right, Simon. She's a sinner. Man, what a sinner. But she has been forgiven much, and thus she is able to love much. Now, feed in that culture, even today, to a great extent. Someone will say, get your stinky feet away from me. Uh, we have that kind of language still today. But in those days, when the streets were dust and mud and dung, and that's why the feet were washed, and on this occasion, the feet weren't washed to the guest, and the feet were dirty, and the feet were filthy, and, and feet were not thought of as a, a part of the body to embrace. In fact, to make your enemy your what? To make your enemy your footstool was to put your enemy under your most low part of the body. Make my enemy my footstool. And yet, Isaiah had changed that when Isaiah said, how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. Or do you remember again in Matthew's gospel when the resurrected Jesus appears, interestingly enough, in Matthew 28, 9 is kind of an odd little verse. Have you ever noticed it before? The women seeing the now glorified, resurrected Jesus, they grab his feet and worship him. The resurrected state, the nail-scarred feet of Jesus are grabbed and they worship Jesus. Jesus says to the woman in verse 48, you are forgiven. Ponder for a moment the power of those words to that lady and ponder for a moment whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're watching by way of television, ponder the words, you are forgiven forgiven. Are there any words that you long to hear more than those words? Your faith, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now we have two characters in this story and I want you to ponder for a moment. Every good story invites you into the story to decide what part you would play best. Are you the sinner who comes in humility today on the first day of 2017 looking for the pardon of Jesus as you weep over your wrongdoing? Is that who you are? Confessionally, I fear I'm a little bit more like Simon. I think I know right from wrong and I kind of look down my long nose at others that I don't think should be as close to the master as I am. When you, we read these stories, the challenge of the gospel is, who are you in the story? Which character? Are you the woman, openly a sinner, hiding nothing, open heart, confessing your sins? Are you the pretender? Are you more like Simon? They could not have been any more different, could they? Simon was a religious professional, and she was a professional sinner. Simon was respected, and she was rejected. Which one are you? Very quickly, I want us to notice three things about this story and about this lady. First of all, the shady lady came as a sinner. 
The shady lady came as a sinner right there on the front. She is a sinner, verse 37. Verse 39 again, she is a sinner. And then twice more the word sin and sin again. We don't have to wait till she speaks to Jesus. Everybody knew what she did. The whispering was there in the community. Why would she come to Jesus? Maybe she'd heard the story about Jesus, that the drunkards and the gluttons were welcomed at the table to him. Maybe she'd heard that the Pharisees were always upset with his dinner company. Maybe she'd heard the story of the woman caught in adultery to whom Jesus said, you are forgiven, go and sin no more. I don't know how she knew she'd be welcomed to Jesus, but, but she did. In fact, the next chapter, it's funny how Luke unfolds this pericope, this story, before he tells us they're complaining that he is a friend of sinners. Then he gives us a story about Jesus interacting with this sinful woman. Then chapter 8, the next chapter, we have three stories in fast succession where Jesus goes into the area of the Gentiles and a, a naked madman, a Gentile, is released from his demons. And then next, there's a woman who's had a hemorrhage for 12 years, ceremoniously unclean, and Jesus makes her well. And then he goes to the home of the ruler of the synagogue whose daughter has just died. One should never touch a corpse. And Jesus calls her back to life. Whether it's the naked madman with demons or the woman who has the embarrassment of the hemorrhage of blood and is by the law unclean or, or whether it's the corpse that makes it unclean. In every case, Jesus is not afraid to touch or be touched. And the lady knows it. The shady lady comes as a sinner. In the Academy of Fine Arts in Venice, there hangs a painting by Veronese. This painting by Veronese got him in big trouble with the church. They called him on the carpet. Explain this painting to us. It was a painting with Jesus and the apostles, and in that painting, there are Roman soldiers over there in the corner playing their games, and there are stray dogs roaming around Jesus and the disciples, and there's a few drunks there, and there's a jester who's a midget in the picture, and there's some foreigners in the pictures, and some anachronistics out-of-time huns there in the picture, and so they called the famed artist before the church and said, what are you doing? When you paint Jesus, you don't put dogs in the picture. You don't put jesters in the picture. You don't put Romans in the picture. You don't put drunkards in the picture with Jesus. And Veronese said, that's always around Jesus in the gospel. He's right. He was identified by the phrase, he is the friend of sinners. Whose friend are you? Who do you hang around and who hangs around you? Jesus was known as the one who hangs with the sinners. Veronese had to paint out some characters to make the church happy, to retitle his painting to a secular painting and change it all, or he was going to be in too much trouble. The Jesus and the gospel of Luke is a Jesus who reaches out to the wayward.
The Jesus who welcomes a sinner to come by his side. Don't we have throughout the Bible a God who has a preference for real people over good people? Don't we have a God who always chooses the real person over the good person? Don't we have a God who rejoices over the one sinner who repents more than the 99 who have no need to repent? Is it not Jacob, nicknamed rascal, that God chooses? Is it not David, the adulterer and murderer, that who is God's greatest king over Israel? Is it not the Apostle Paul who's on the road to Damascus to arrest the members of the way, the believers of the church, and bodily harm forced them back to Jerusalem? God chooses as his ultimate tools those the world would always reject. Is sin okay? No, never. But God has a love for sinners. There's a second thing I want you to see. The woman not only came in sin, she came in sorrow, verse 38. She came with humility. She came weeping over her sin. She came with a cry for help. Isn't that how it is in the gospel? That God responds to people who cry out, knowing they're sinners, knowing they need God. She comes weeping and crying out for help. Probably the most loved hymn in all the hymnal, you know it, of course, Amazing Grace. We all love it because we're all that wretch, aren't we? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now, now I see. Here's a third and final thing I want you to see in this story. Not only did she come as a sinner, not only did she come in humility, but also she came away forgiven. Jesus says to her, your sins, look at verse 48, your sins have been forgiven. Aren't those powerful words? You know, I have a, a habit when I look at people, I don't look at their future, I look at their past. I don't look at who they could be, I look at who they have been. Have you ever noticed that Jesus has that power to see people beyond where they are today in their brokenness, but having made them whole, he has the ability to see who they can be, not in and of themselves, but in and of the power of God. I had a friend text me yesterday, amazingly, while I was going through this sermon one more time on late Saturday afternoon, a, a pastor friend texted me right in the middle of the preparation, a pastor in another city, and said, Give me your best one-sentence definition of grace. It took me about two hours to text him back because that's a big question, isn't it? Here's what I texted back. Grace is what I want the Father to freely give me, yet I want to measure it out meagerly to my brother. Grace is what I want the Father to freely give me, and yet I want to measure it out meagerly to my brother. She was forgiven. A professor at a 
a college back Eastern University, was writing a paper on the psychological impact of the words, your sins have been forgiven. He wasn't a believer. He was an atheist. And he just thought that, that, that those words had impact. And as you read through the Gospels, are you amazed at how many times Jesus says those words, your sins are forgiven. Right there, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. The professor started out as an atheist. By the time he finished the report, he concluded with these words, I too have heard those humble words, son, thy sins are forgiven thee, and now I am a follower of Jesus. Who are you in the story today? Are you the one that owes the big debt and God has forgiven you? Are you the one who knows the grace of God? Some of you need to come today like that woman. You need to come openly in humility and brokenness and repentance. Some of you need to be like that woman today and come and weep at the feet of Jesus and know that he has a broken body, pierced feet for you to weep, to dry them, to kiss them, and anoint them and know that he has died for you. I once was lost but now, now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. When we've been there, ten thousand years bright shining as the sun we've no last days to sing God's praise then when I don't know who you are in the story today. I read the story and I don't like the character that jumped out and identified with me. Will you begin 2017 as a broken sinner who needs a Savior? Not receiving a blessing on your sin, but a blessing on your soul. To hear the most powerful words as we begin this year that Jesus could ever utter to you. Your sins are forgiven.